Well, welcome everybody to the gathering. We're grateful that you're here tonight. Make sure you're sitting at a table with some other, other people because we're going to spend a lot of time doing some table talk tonight. One more time, a very special happy birthday to Teresa Rushing. Would you give it up for her? Jim had some of us write uh, dif different birthday wishes for Teresa, and uh, like 29, right? Because she's turning 29 today. And uh, I shared one of them. I know. I'm just going to talk to Teresa because no one else is listening, so that's all right. I don't know if you got the one that I sent. That's okay. All right, so I, I shouldn't share it? All right, well, Teresa gives the best hugs ever. Her hugs are in between a boa constrictor and a grizzly bear. And they make you feel alive, they make you feel loved and cared for. Um, so thanks so much for being here tonight. We're grateful that you're here. Make sure you are sitting at a table. Looks like everyone is sitting at a table for the most part with other people. Uh, tonight we turn to the first close of First. Corinthians. Now, I put 1 Corinthians in quotation marks because you guys know by now that 1 Corinthians actually isn't Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. We've learned already that 1 Corinthians is at least Paul's second letter to the Christians at Corinth. An earlier letter was lost. I mean, Paul references this letter in 1 Corinthians 5.9 and we don't really know what it says. But in the previous 15 chapters of 1 Corinthians tonight, we've seen how the church at Corinth was under attack. Under attack perhaps more from the inside, though, than the outside. What do I mean by that? They were dealing with internal tension. The church at Corinth was dealing with internal divisions and splits, immorality and sin. We're talking about dirty, rotten, 21st century type of sin. It was bad. But Paul's response to them is incredible. His response to them is affectionate. It's firm. It's clear. It's unswerving. He doesn't disown them. He, he doesn't fly into a tirade or kick them out for their irresponsible ways. Instead, he takes them by the hand like a father or like a mother, and he goes over the same old ground again, showing them how to work the glorious details of God's saving love into their love for one another. So tonight is the beginning of the end. But it's not the end of 1 Corinthians. That'll be next week. And this is not the last conversation that we have with the Corinthians, we find that we interact with them in 2 Corinthians, a second letter from Paul that we have. But here, tonight, in our section in view, Paul is in the process of drawing his letter to a close with some words that they may seem rather unrelated to our needs today. You know, he's talking about financial collection and some traveling plans, and a person with a really strange name. But here, Paul actually deals with three things that are of great responsibility in our lives today. He talks about money and opportunity and also people. So let's first talk about money. If you're able to stand, I invite you to stand. 
as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. It says, now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. God, tonight we come before you and we want to know what it means to take good care of these resources that you have given to us, money and opportunities and people. Speak to us clearly tonight, Lord, in a way that we can understand, in a way that we can hear, in a way that changes and transforms our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> My grandfather, who I'll put up on the screen here, <coughs> he uh, climbed power line poles for a living for Southern California Edison. Thank you for not laughing. I mean, look at those eyebrows, but he is so proud of those eyebrows and those guns he's got. You don't touch an old man's eyebrows. But anyways, he, he was a, a power line pole climber for Southern California Edison for years and years. And as if the job wasn't dangerous enough, I mean, exploring perilous heights and working with high voltage electricity, he felt the need to frequently bring home rattlesnakes in his lunchbox for my dad and his brothers to play with. And now, as grandkids, this was one of my favorite memories, where we would go over to their house and we would unravel these long-since-dead rattlesnake skins, and then we would play with the severed rattles, trying to scare each other. But one of my most favorite things at Grandpa's house, and still is today, is a gift that he received when he retired from Edison. He received this massive globe that was encased with wooden arches. And this globe, it was amazing. I mean, you could spin it as fast as you, as you can because it doesn't come off its axis. It has an encasing made of wood. It's perfect for viewing because there's a little button, a little switch that illuminates the whole entire world. And I remember spinning this globe as a child, thinking, where, where am I? I'm just in a small little section of Southern California, and I'd spin it, and I'd stop on Egypt and, and imagine what it might be to explore the pyramids, or, or go to the Great Barrier Reef down under, or go to the steamy jungles of the Congo. I think that this really helped me to learn something. I became acclimated. Sorry, with having a global, worldwide perspective. I need some water. If <laughs> someone can give me some water. <clears throat> I'm getting over a sickness, and I thought I'd be all right, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not getting, like, emotional, but my eyes are watering because I can't breathe. <clears throat> Thank you. Give it up for Dora. You're a true Christian. <clears throat> so I had this worldwide perspective. I felt illuminated by learning more about the world. And I think the most important lesson I learned was just how small I was and how small my frame of reference was. 
Well, I feel that Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians here, as he's talking about all these other locations, which we're going to look at tonight, I think he's trying to show them a concern for having something larger in mind. He's not just talking to the the Corinthian Christians about just Corinthian Christian type of things. No, he's talking to them about the whole entire known world at the time, some things that we're going to explore. So let's take a look. Here we have the world right here, at least one part of the world. We're going to zoom in to the ancient Near East. Uh, The tip of Spain, Tarshish, would essentially be the ancient world boundary, as, as far west as you could go. You sure it could go far east, but in the ancient world, this is basically what we're talking about. So let's zoom in even further and acclimate ourselves and get a concern for these locations. Here you see Paul's writing from Ephesus on the tip of Turkey. That's modern-day Turkey. It used to be called Asia Minor. He's writing from Ephesus to the church at Corinth in modern-day Greece on the Peloponnesian Peninsula. And then he's talking to them about a collection, money being collected for the poor all the way back in Jerusalem, in Palestine. You may think like, well, why? Why is there this concern for the poor? Well, there was a famine at the time, and this money was expected to be some sort of famine relief. And so Paul is telling them, do what I told the Galatians. Where is Galatia? Galatia is about central uh, Turkey and also southern Turkey. It refers to a bunch of different churches, city in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So this is kind of like where we're focusing tonight. Verse 2 says, on the first day of each week, that would be Sunday, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. In other words, be prepared. Be prepared with your money. Set aside a portion regularly so you don't have to drain your bank account when it comes time to to pay. Well, how much? How much should be given? 10%, 20%? This is not the tithe. This is just a special gift offering. Paul actually doesn't say how much. It's up to the givers. It's based on their heart how much they should give. But these givers, they can make a world of a difference by how they give. A need had to be met and the Corinthians could help. They could play a role in that. In February, we are starting a new sermon series called Multiplied. And it's going to be about money. It's going to be about how money and giving multiplies your faith and multiplies your love. And in a strange way, it actually multiplies your freedom. Now, that sounds strange. Giving is very strange. Giving is actually very crazy. But we're going to be exploring that because that's really important. So don't go planning your vacations accordingly, all right? That's happened in February. Uh, but money, money can be a lot like sex. Now I got your attention, right? It can be super awkward to talk about. For me, talking about sex is a little bit more awkward, especially when you're in-laws. I call them the outlaws or in the audience. You should try it sometime. It's really fun. But money can be the same way. People get weird when it comes to money. It gets awkward, really awkward. So we're going to get awkward tonight. 
and do some table talk, all right? So talk to the people around you and, follow, and address the following questions. How have you seen your financial generosity bless others? In what specific way has this inspired you to give generously and cheerfully? And when have you stepped out in faith and given generously? And how has God met your needs? Ready, go. No, you don't have to do all of those questions, but just try.
Okay, we've got about one more minute. One more minute. All right, let's bring it back together. And we'll continue with verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4 says, When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. So Paul planned to send a rep from each of the churches who were contributing to this generosity for Jerusalem. And this way, the cash would arrive safe and sound. And here in verse 4, Paul entertains the idea of also going along with these representatives as a part of this group. And after he wrote this letter, he actually does end up going with them. But next up are the travel plans of Paul and his crew. So we've talked about money. We're moving on now to opportunities. Verse 5 says, I am coming to visit you after I have been to Macedonia, for I am planning to travel through Macedonia. The original plan, as we can see on the map, is that Paul would head north from Ephesus to Macedonia. This is his plan to go from here in Ephesus to the north in Macedonia. Macedonia was a Roman province uh, north of Corinth where Philippi, also Thessalonica and Berea, some of these popular names we see in Scripture where they are located. He then planned to travel south to Corinth, but Paul later changed his mind and went directly from Ephesus to Corinth. And it may have to do with Timothy and his report about what the Corinthians were doing and how messy things had become. Well, verses 6 and 7 continues, as Paul says, Perhaps I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter, and then you can send me on my way to my next destination. This time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while if the Lord will let me. Paul wanted to stay and get a pulse of the church. He wanted to figure out what its environment was like, especially in light of all their issues. I mean, the, this church had major issues. I mean, one guy was hooking up with his dad's wife, with his stepmom. That's pretty bad news. And also the people were like robust. They were puffed up. They were swole with pride. It was... Kind of like some bad churches in America today. But verse 8 says, In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. 
What's Pentecost? As Christians, we often think straight to Acts chapter 2 and the coming of the Holy Spirit. But the festival of the Pentecost is as follows. It's a celebration of 50 days after Passover, held in late May or early June. Now, according to Jewish, uh, Jewish tradition, Pentecost commemorates God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses at Mount Sinai. 49 days after the exodus, after they come out of slavery in Egypt. Hellenistic Jews, who would be Greek-speaking Jews, they gave it the name Pentecoste, meaning 50. It's also known as the Festival of Weeks, the Festival of Harvest, and the First Fruits. In a nutshell, it's a festival where you would bring your entire harvest, where you would bring your pomegranates and figs and your olives and dates and your your wheat, your barley, and you would give it to God at the temple. It's a whole festival that's surrounded around this idea of giving to God and giving gratitude to God for not just the first fruits of your fields, but also for his sustaining activity and love and guidance throughout history. And for Christians, Festival of Pentecost is celebrated as the time when the Holy Spirit descended and became this phenomenon that all believers, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, can access, can have as a driving spiritual force in their lives. So Paul will stay here at Ephesus until the Festival of the Pentecost. Why? Why is Paul going to stay in Ephesus? I don't know, maybe the party was better there in Ephesus than it was in Corinth. Hard to believe, but, uh, or maybe it was so bad at Corinth, he decided to stay. Anyways, verse 9 says, There's a wide open door for a great work here that is in Ephesus. Other many oppose me. This is a huge verse here. Huge verse for doing good work in the face of or in spite of opposition. I want to take a look at a couple of different translations and what they may read. So I'm going to have like different tables read some of the different translations. So first we have the common English Bible. Let's have this group read it nice and loud. Yeah, at the same time. Try it. See how it works. Nice. Sounds exciting right there. Uh, The NET, the New English Translation, let's have Ron, your group. This is actually a continuation of verse 8, so they don't, uh, the translators don't section it off as a separate sentence. So go ahead, nice and loud so everyone can hear. Nice, beautiful. All right, we have the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. Let's have Dora, your group, the true Christians right here. All right, and here we have the message paraphrase. Let's have Lowell, your group. You guys are excited, right? Got the Lakers hat on. This is the message paraphrase. Yeah. It's like Paul doesn't even care that there's opposition. 
It's like, it's no big deal. I'm just going to continue my missions work here in the face of opposition, in spite of this opposition. He actually stayed in Ephesus for a period of three years to take advantage of the opportunities there. He didn't regard his adversaries there as an indication of a closed door, like God wasn't going to do anything there because he faced adversaries or opposition. He didn't see this opposition as a sign that God wanted him to move on to more comfortable ministry. But how often do we confuse our call with our comfort? And we're like, ah, God, yeah, I don't think you really want me to go there because it's tough. Or I don't really need to talk to those people because they make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Or I have to get outside of my comfort zone, so God must be closing those doors, right? No. That's not, well, that's not at least how Paul sees it. So let's take a look here and do some table talk. What opposition are you facing right now, and how can you face it as a wide open door for great work? Ready, go.
All right, one more minute. Let's bring it back. I know for some people, the opposition, you don't have to think very far. You don't have to think long and hard to figure out or to discover that you've been facing opposition. Maybe for some people, uh, you feel like you're not facing any opposition. It sounds harsh, but if you're not facing any opposition in any area of your life, might need to ask ourselves the question, am I really actively living out my faith? Uh, I know that sounds harsh, uh, but I feel like that's what God is, is saying. And it's something we need to consider. But let's talk about people. Verses 10 and 11 says, when Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. Why? Because he's young. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am. Paul's saying, Timothy's putting in his reps just as I am. He is my peer. Verse 11, don't let anyone treat him with contempt. Send him on his way with your blessing when he returns to me. I expect him to come with the other believers. Evidently, Timothy's relative youth tended to make some people actually look down on him. And as a result, he feared. Paul advised the Corinthians, these people who have been judging a lot by external appearances, don't show contempt for him. Give him the respect that he deserves because he's doing the same work that I, Paul, am doing. Give him, Timothy, that respect. You know, nearly every month, someone refers to me as Timothy and I am incredibly humbled by this and a little bit confused as to why they would make such a comparison. Like, I get it, you know, I'm young. But Timothy is like a big dog of faith, a big dog of faith in the kingdom of God. And, and I have a long way to go to, to be where Timothy was. I have much to learn, but I, I do feel that I can at least identify with Timothy in some way. That is, with his struggle. I was 22 when we started Journey the Church, and it was really fun and also really frustrating speaking with adults, speaking to adults just like this, because there were experiences where I felt contempt, where I received contempt from people who didn't think that I should be doing anything in the ministry because I was too young. I was too green, as they, they called it. And there were many times that I had to take, and there still are, times where I have to take Paul's words to Timothy to heart in 
1 Timothy 4.12, Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. And now this is a struggle that I've had to work through. This is something that I've had to deal with. But I have seen here that any contempt that I ever experienced, any contempt I ever experienced was far outweighed by compliments, by love, by encouragement. And I'm grateful for every opportunity that this church, that you guys and girls have afforded me to serve. It's been an incredible blessing, an incredible privilege. I've learned tremendous lessons from you, and I'm overwhelmed by the way that you've loved me and my wife and even my dog, Penny. (laughs) You know, and I know with the beard, I get a little bit more respect. (laughs) I really do. It's kind of crazy because you would think, well, you know, with the beard, he sometimes looks homeless unless he's not wearing a, nothing wrong with being homeless, but like, you know, but I think that I have really, really felt well received and well accepted here at Journey of the Church. And you guys are, are amazing because you realize you can learn something from anybody. And if we think that, man, I can only learn something from someone who's way up here and you know, in knowledge and wisdom and maturity and years. We're going to miss out on a lot of wisdom that, that maybe God is showing us. So thanks for receiving me. That, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say I'm Timothy or anything like that. I'm just saying that Paul's words to Timothy are, are a blessing. And for young people here, do your thing. Do your thing. Live out your hope. I mean, everyone still thinks they're young, so that's everybody. Live out your your hope. Verse 12 says, Now about our brother Apollos. I urged him to visit you with the other believers. Apollos was a great speaker of the early church, but he was not willing to go right now. He will see you later when he has the opportunity. we, We don't know why Apollos didn't want to go and revisit Corinth with Timothy at this time. And we don't know if he ever did visit Corinth again. But that's the way our section closes tonight. Next week, we're going to close out the book as a whole. But Paul is touched here on three areas of great responsibility. Money, opportunities, and people. And these are some of the greatest resources that the church has. And they should not be wasted. I was swimming today. I try and swim every, every day if I can. And uh, I was done with swimming. I wanted to quit because I was tired. And maybe you've experienced that before where you're just like, I'm done. And I didn't quit, and I kept on going. And then I do like a little breaststroke at the end, just a cool-down lap. You know what that is, right? Cut the pie and make the pie. Cut the pie and make the pie. And your legs kind of do like the frog thing with it. I did one final lap because I was done. I was tired. (laughs) But um, my head's above water, and I'm hearing music. And usually they play like the radio or whatever, Beach Boys, whatever is on. But then it's like talking about Jesus, Jesus Christ overwhelming me, covering over me. And I'm like, what is this? They're playing like worship music here at the pool. I'm like, that's cool. And... uh, 
I look at the lifeguard, and it's this young guy, and I'm thinking, oh, man, he put this music on. I wonder if he's a Christian. I wonder if he goes to church, all this stuff. And uh, he passes by, and I keep swimming, and I'm, all right, I'm going to do another lap, even though I'm tired because I want to talk to him. So I'm kind of like chasing him as he's going around the pool. <laughs> and I finally talk to him, and I'm like, hey, man, like, like what's this song? He's like, I don't know. My girlfriend made this mix for me. And I'm like, well, it's... That's a cool song, you know? And we just kind of talked a little bit, and I felt like after, I should have probably said something more. And I wonder if he was thinking the same thing. I wonder if he was a Christian and felt like apprehensive about saying, oh yeah, no, it's a Christian song, I go to a church, I follow Jesus with my life. And so I wonder if now he's going to start like trying to, to preach to me as I'm going to go and try and, and preach to him. That would be pretty cool. Uh, but I feel it was like kind of an opportunity wasted. And I know we have those opportunities that get wasted all the time. And it's so simple. It's so easy. But sometimes we cook it up in our head or in our mind. In our, I guess that's the same thing. Your head, your mind your brain, you cook it up like it's going to be some big ordeal when it's really, really not. I want to use this as an example to say to you, don't waste the opportunities. I was at a funeral yesterday for a man who lived 66 years, 66 years. That's not, not very old. But I feel like he made the most of his opportunities. But I'm sure he would tell you that he could have use so many more opportunities that wouldn't be wasted. And so with that, I want to close this out in prayer that we would take a hold of these things, money and opportunity and people, and use them to the glory of God. Father, we thank you for the opportunities you put in our paths. We thank you for the money in our pockets, even if it's just a few coins. We thank you for the people in our lives who support us, who love us, who care for us. But most importantly, God, we thank you that your presence never leaves us, that you are with us, that, Lord, you guide us and strengthen us. And we want to be faithful to you. We want to be mindful of what you're doing in our lives each and every moment around us. Help us to stay consciously connected to you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.